Alright guys, we're in chapter 12. We're, we're going back to Paul's original discussion about the, the issue of salvation. And, you know, he spent three chapters talking about God's sovereignty, and especially in light of Israel, in the issue of salvation. He's now going to talk about what salvation does in our lives. We've talked about being saved, how you got saved, uh, the issue of justification. We, we've talked about the issue of sanctification. He's going to go expand it a little bit more to talk about the transformation of your life. Because you and I need to understand that salvation just isn't fire insurance for later on. So many times when we go to our church, we just think of it as, I can just do whatever I want to do. I'm okay. I got that, I got that heaven thing taken care of. I, I'm saved. I'm okay. No, no, if you've got that point of view, you are totally wrong. You've totally missed it. You don't have any understanding of what Jesus did for you. Because the reality is Jesus came not just to save you from your sins and save you from hell, but to save you from, from here and the way that you've been destroying your life here. And I'm using that word destroying your life. Do you understand? Sin destroys your life. It's always going to destroy your life. So he's going to talk about transformation. So we're going to look at this uh, chapter. We're going to look at verses 1 to 21. Because there's a lot here. Just a lot in the first two verses. Just a lot in the first two verses. So let's look at the first two verses. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies... A living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. All right, so let's look at this. We're going to look at these two verses. We're going to talk about living sacrifices. So first of all, Paul's saying here, because of God's mercy and salvation, believers are to present themselves to God. Now, see, this is, this is where you and I've got to understand something now, okay? So typically when I get saved, I think I'm saved, I've got that heaven thing taken care of, I'm not worried about hell, i got the forgiveness thing, and I can just keep going on with my life and do whatever I want to do. Just so long as I'm serving Jesus and I make sure I confess my sins. That's not the point Paul's making here. He's making a point here. He's actually urging you. He's using the word beseech there in the, in the New King James. It's also in the King James. It, a better word would have, as I plead with you. I plead with you. He's, he's trying to get your attention here. That you and I present our bodies as living sacrifices to God. Did you understand what I'm saying? That we present ourselves as living sacrifices to God. Now, does everybody understand what a sacrifice is? We don't, we don't do that, you know, in our culture and in our world. A lot of, a lot of cultures around the world still make sacrifices to, to gods and so forth. And usually, typically, when a sacrifice is made, something dies. Do you understand? So what he's talking about here is the sacrifice that you and I need to make is to be a living sacrifice. It's an ongoing sacrifice. We're to present ourselves, not just one time, but in an ongoing way to God to serve him. Do you understand what I'm saying? 
Now immediately when I say that about serving him and all of that, we immediately conjure up ideas in our mind that I'm talking about you need to become a missionary. Or you need to become a pastor. And, and I'm not talking about that. When we talk about service to God, listen to me folks, don't reduce it down. We've reduced it down so much in our church that we only think of it in terms of full-time ministry. When I'm talking about you serving God, I'm talking about you just being obedient to what He tells you to do. And it might be something as simple as this. I was in a, I was in a conference. I was in a conference in down in Pittsburgh. It was a soul care conference for pastors, and uh, I was listening to this pastor just sharing some deep pain in his life. And we were supposed to pray, groups of three. And I felt like the Holy Spirit said, put your arm around him. Now, I knew that that had to be God, because first of all, I ain't going to do that. No, that's not me, I'm German. Okay, I only put my arm around my woman. I don't put my arm around some dude next to me. Okay? But I had the sense that I needed to. So I put my arm around him. And we prayed, with my, and I had my arm around him. And it's kind of weird, because I, I, I prayed, but I had my fingers outstretched, so I didn't want it to seem like I was totally embracing him. You know what I'm saying? You know, that's just me. And about a week later after the conference, I got an email from the guy. I don't know how he got my email, but he got me. And he just thanked me. He said, that totally blew me away, but I needed to know that somebody cared. See, when God calls you to do something, the issue of service is being obedient to what the Holy Spirit leads you to do. We, redu- we miss out on so much about serving God because we reduce it down to being a preacher, being a Sunday school teacher, being a missionary, when it's simply just responding in obedience to what the Holy Spirit calls you to do. Do you understand what I'm saying? And being there for other people. And he's telling you to present yourselves to him to serve him. Okay? This is not an option. So the sacrifice, now listen, here's how he views that sacrifice. The sacrifice of a believer's life is holy, acceptable to God, and a reasonable service. So I want you to listen to me. If you're questioning whether or not you should be doing this, here's how God views you and I when we make that commitment. Lord, here I am. I belong to you. I'm going to do what you want me to do. He sees it as, listen to me, holy. That's a holy act. He doesn't just see it as a holy act. He sees it as acceptable to him. Do you, do you ever get to that place sometimes where you wonder, like, is God okay with what you're doing? Look, when you do this, it's okay to God. Did you know what I'm saying? It's okay to God. And then notice something. He says it's your reasonable act of service. It's only reasonable for you and I to respond to God's salvation in a way where we're going we're gonna to present ourselves to him and be used of him. That's what he's talking about here. And then he goes on and he says, well, man, that's a lot. Well, the only way that's going to take place is you need to be transformed. So look at verse 2. I'll read it to you again. This is a great verse. You need to put a star by this verse, memorize this verse. If you highlight things, highlight this verse. 
He says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now here's what I want you to see. Believers' lives should not be conformed to the standards and ways of the world. You know, he's going to say, present yourself. This is holy. This is acceptable to God. And then he says to you, and don't be conformed. Do you understand what conform is? That's like giving in to the peer pressure. That's like going with the flow of everybody else. Don't go with the flow of everybody else and be conformed to the way this world lives its life the way the, the world's attitudes are, the world's standards. Don't be conformed. You need to choose a different path. Now, how do we choose that different path? Well, you don't get conformed on your own. You're going to have to make a, a decision to do something, so they should be transformed by the renewing of their minds. The renewing of their minds. Now, the word transform comes from the Greek word metamorphos. Anybody know what a metamorphosis is or a metamorph when, when a, as a butterfly, remember, when it goes into its chrysalis? I once said cocoon or whatever, and my wife got on me, you know, it's a chrysalis. It's a chrysalis, okay? And, and, and inside, what happens to that little worm? It, it transforms into a what? A butterfly or an ugly moth. And it transforms from the inside out. Now, see, if you want change in your life, it happens from the inside out. And here's how it happens, folks. Renewing your mind. You need to renew your mind. How do, how do we renew our minds? How do we renew our minds, folks? Reading the Word. How else do we renew our minds? Spend time with God. How else? He just told us something before this, don't be conformed to the image of this world. So how do you think that might affect in, in the issue of renewing of my mind? Okay, try to think of things that are pleasing to God. Anybody else? You have to allow it to start changing behaviors and put it into practice. Okay, you've got to allow it to start changing behaviors and put it into practice. Okay. Okay, blocking out some of the things of the world as well. Do you understand what I'm saying? If I'm not going to be conformed to the image of this world, that means I've got to pay attention to what I'm feeding my mind with. Do you understand? Garbage in is going to equate to what? Garbage out. That's just a principle. So I, oh no man, you're getting legalistic, you're telling me I can't watch TV, can't go to the movies. No, I am not saying that at all, folks. All right, you can watch your TV, you can watch your movies, fine. All I'm saying is, pay attention to what you're putting in your mind, because maybe, because everybody agree with me, not everything is okay to watch, right? Not everything, do you understand what I'm saying? Not everything is going to help you and help your mind. If you're going to renew your mind, and you're not going to be conformed to the image of this world, you need to pay attention to what you input in that mind. Do you understand what I'm saying? And that goes for everything, from what you visually hear to what you hear. Like, you know what I'm saying? If I'm driving down the road and I'm listening to classic rock, I can almost guarantee you I'm not doing the speed limit. Do you, know, do you understand what I'm saying? 
Because music affects you. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? So he's saying to you, you need to be transformed from the inside out by the renewing of your mind. Now let me just stop for a moment. So that means it's pretty important that you and I spend some time reading our Bibles, doesn't it? Doesn't it? See, it's, it shouldn't just be a mindless exercise. It should be, God, you're going to speak to me today. You're going to show me something today. So like the other day, I was reading. For some reason, I felt like I needed to go back. When, in my earlier years as a Christian, I spent a lot of time studying the life of Elijah in First Kings, Second Kings. And the other day, I, was, I felt like I needed to, to go back and just study Elijah for a little bit. So I'm reading through Elijah. I go through chapter 17, chapter 18, get up to chapter 19. And uh, it's where Elijah's running. And he comes to the broom tree. The Bible says broom tree. It's also a juniper tree. Rests under the juniper tree. And the angel of the Lord comes to him and, and at two different nights provides food for him. And then the angel of the Lord says to him, here, you need to eat this. Because the journey ahead of you is long. Now, I've read that so many times before, it never clicked until all of a sudden, wow, God, you know that he's going to run, because it says he runs 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Horeb. You know that he's running to you. And he's going to spend 40 days and 40 nights, and you're already caring for him even before he meets you. And that just told me about the wonderful aspect of the nature of our God, that even when we're in the midst of it and we're confused or even in depression, God is taking care of us. Isn't that awesome? That spoke to me about some things that I was thinking about at the moment. Now, that wouldn't have happened. God wouldn't have spoke to me through his word if I hadn't read it, right? It wouldn't have ministered to me at that moment about what I knew. In fact, it, it so impacted me, I had to go back the next day and think about it some more, look at it again. Like, did I get that right? So, you're going to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So you need to read your Bibles. Where do we start? We've got Bible reading guides on the back. I'll keep printing them up for you. Start in the Gospels. Read, start with the life of Jesus. You need to get in the Word. So, but here's the thing. Why do I need to do this? Okay? Why do I need to do this? Well, let me just stop for a moment. How many of you want to know what the will of God is for your life? We all do, right? Here's what Paul says. This allows believers to prove what is the good and acceptable, what the, what the good and acceptable will of God is. This allows believers to prove what is the good and acceptable will of God? That's the point here. You want to know what God wants for your life? The only way you're going to know what God wants for your life is if God talks to you. How does He talk to you? Through His Word. Holy Spirit talks to you through His Word. You know, I mean, so I don't know what God wants me to do. Read His Word. And He's not going to give you a 10 year plan. So don't, don't figure on a 10 year plan, okay? God doesn't deal in 10-year plans with us. He gives you what you need for what? For today. Do you understand what I'm saying? For today. 
And you'll be able to get what is the good and acceptable. Notice now, you may want to even underline that word good there. Isn't that whatever his will is for you folks, it's what? Good. Now, he goes on in verses 3 through 8, and he's going to talk about transform ministry. So, you know, when you present yourselves to God, you're not being conformed, you're being transformed. Now, he's going to get into the aspect of you serving. And again, I'm not talking about ministry. I'm not talking about a position in the church. I'm just talking about you serving God and what he wants you to do. Does everybody understand me? Okay, so does everybody understand me? Every one of you here is to serve God. Do you get me? Every single one of you, if you know Jesus, is to serve God. Now the problem is, is through the years we've, we've contaminated that thought. Well, except unless you're divorced. Or unless you've really messed up. Do you remember those things we used to say those things? Really? That's not in the Bible. Every one of you is to serve God if you know Jesus. Do you understand? And I'm not talking about a position. I'm talking about being obedient to God and what he tells you to do. All right, now look with me. Look at what he says here, verse 3. For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in ministering. And he who teaches in teaching, and he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, and he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. All right, let's look here. He's going to talk about what you and I can do, because we're all called to serve, right? What does that mean? Here's a proper perspective. Number one, believers are not to think highly of themselves as they live soberly in the reality of salvation. So what, what does he mean here? What, basically what he's saying here is don't have a big head about yourself. Do you understand what I mean by that? Don't toot your horn too much. Don't think that life exists without you. Can't exist without you. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because reality is, especially in church, Lori and I learned this long ago, you know, you know, the reality is, I'll just be flat out honest with you, I remember when we left the first church, we were so devastated leaving that first church, and we just, how are they going to do it? How are they going to do it? They did it. Without us. Didn't even bat an eye. They went on. And we've seen people, oh, the church, the church will crumble if we leave. The church will crumble if we leave. And they leave. And guess what? We continued on. Did you understand? You, you, you've got to quit thinking so highly of yourself. Why? Because you're just a sinner saved by grace. That's what he's talking about here. Every single one of us is just a sinner saved by grace. Nobody's tooting their horn. Did you understand what I'm saying? You, you know... You know, like I look on you and know, I see there's there's Franklin Graham and there's all these big kahunas and stuff. Can I be honest with you? They're just like you. 
They get up in the morning and put their pants on the same way you do. Maybe a different leg they start out with, but they put their pants on the same way. Do you understand what I'm saying? They sin just like you do. It's just for some reason they've been given a place of prominence in this world. And God does that for some people and he does that for other people. You're just like them. Nobody needs to be thinking highly of themselves because we're all what? Sinners saved by what? Grace. Do you understand what I'm saying? Sinners saved by grace. So no, Believers are not to think too highly of themselves. Why? Because here's what he says. The body of believers is made up of many members who have different functions. We're all the same here. Sinners saved by grace. And we're part of one body, but here's the thing. We all have different functions within that body. All of us, we, 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 have, we have one salvation. And we're part of one body, but we're many different members and what? Different gifts. Wouldn't it, aren't you glad? And he uses the term body here to express that. Because when you look at your body, your body's not all the same, is it? What if every part of you was just a nose? Do you know what I'm saying? Or just a mouth? How about a foot? Did, did you understand what I'm saying? Every member of your body is just a foot. Did you understand? There, there, every one of us has different functions here. He's, he's, he's grabbing our attention here by saying that. And here's what I want you to see. The body of Christ is both diverse in its membership and unified in its relationships. You know what? Here's what legalism does. I want you to listen to me. Legalism tries to force everybody into one into one attitude or perspective or action. They try to make everybody the same. That's what legalism does. Do you understand me? Legalism tries to make everybody into the same person. But the problem is that's not biblical. In the Bible, the body of Christ is both what? Diverse, meaning different. We're different people here. Different gifts. Okay? But we're unified, how? In Christ. So we have unity in our relationships with each other through Christ. Do you understand what I'm saying? That, that's the reality here. It's okay to be you. You know, in fact, can I say this? I hear this, oh, I'll never be like so-and-so. Wonderful! Great! You be you! And the person God wants you to be. Do you understand what I'm saying? And you use your gifts in accordance with what God wants you to do in our church. And don't think too highly of yourself. Do you understand what I'm saying? Don't think too highly of yourself. In fact, here's the thing. Look at the issue of spiritual gifts. He, does, he talks about them in verses 6 through 8. I'm just going to give you one statement. Spiritual gifts, according to grace, are given to believers. Spiritual gifts differ according to the grace given to believers. So for some of you here, for some... He gives the ability to teach. Like, I feel God's given me the spiritual gift of teaching. Okay? 
For some, he's given you the spiritual gift to be an encouragement, an exhorter. For some, it's, it's another gift here or there. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Uh, can I, can I, I just need to correct you on one thing. Uh, don't tell me you're, you have the gift of prophecy. That's a true gift. But oftentimes when I hear people, I have the gift of prophecy, and you go and you tell people their problems. You're doing this, blah, 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 blah. I have the gift of prophecy. That's not biblical. Because Corinthian tells us that prophecy is given for the uplifting and the encouragement and the building up of a believer. If you're going to somebody and telling them the truth to tear them down, that ain't no spiritual gift. All spiritual gifts are given for the purpose of building up other believers in their relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you understand what I'm saying? So if you say, I've got this gift, and you're using it to beat people down, that ain't no spiritual gift. That's your flesh. Listen, God entered into your life. The Holy Spirit entered into your life. He gave you grace. And part of the grace He gave you is He gave you a spiritual gift to use, not for yourself, but for who? Everybody, the body. Do you understand what I'm saying? The body. In fact, if you want to, you can look at it on your own, but for, for sake of time, we're not going to hear. 1 Corinthians 12, 7-11 through 11 is, a, is a great section about how the Spirit gives those gifts. And here's the thing. Paul's telling us here, believers are called to exercise their spiritual gift. Well, how do I know what my spiritual gift is, George? Well, I'm going to tell you the easiest way. It's not take a spiritual gifts exam. There are those out there. That's a waste of money. I would say that's a waste of money. Don't even go there because you can take that exam three years in a row and get different results. Here's what I would say to you to do. How do you know what your gift is? Well, know this. God's going to use you in the area of giftedness that he gives you. Is that not true? Everybody agree with that? So how you know what your gift is it's typically the area that God tells you to do something in. Do you understand what I'm saying? So it's responding to the Spirit to do something in. Do you understand what I'm saying? To respond to the Spirit in what He tells you to do. Do you understand what I'm saying? And here, just so you understand, He just doesn't give you one gift, folks. He gives you many gifts. And and so don't think, well, I've got this gift. You've got other gifts. If you respond to the Spirit, He's always going to use you in your area of giftedness that He's given you. Do you understand? Because He's got a purpose for what you're doing in our church and in church and Christianity. Do you understand? So the fact is, is that we're called to exercise our gifts. So... In other words, we're called to be obedient to what God's telling us to do, isn't it? So, okay, maybe you're here. And God told you to put your arm around somebody. You didn't do it. Maybe he continually tells you to put your arm around somebody. Or maybe write them a card, but you don't do it. Maybe it's possible that God's trying to use you, gift says, is saying to you, I, I've gifted you in that area. Respond. 
Did you understand what I'm saying? Now let me just stop for a moment. When I talk about a gift, I'm not talking about a natural ability. Do you understand? Some people have natural abilities or ability that you can acquire. So I'm talking about a gift to benefit the body. A grace that was given to you. Now notice he uses the word grace to describe this gift. Okay? Grace to describe this gift. So then he goes on. Now after talking about... Listen, isn't it amazing how Paul's line of thinking is here? After talking about transformed ministry and using our gifts, he's going to talk about transformed relationships. Because that kind of fits, doesn't it? If I'm using my gifts to, to benefit everybody else, that's, there's going to be transformed relationships with people, right? Okay? So let's look at what he's saying here. Look with me. Verses 9 through 21. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor, giving preference to one another, not lacking in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continually steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you and bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not set your mind on higher things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourself. Rather, give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. In doing so, you heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So he's going to give a whole list of things here. We're going to spend the rest of our time here talking about transformed relationships. Transformed relationships. So the first thing he's going to talk about is that needs to be evident. Now notice something. This is, these aren't gifts. Because somebody could, I could go through this list and just say, well, that's not my gift. I'm not going to worry about that one. He's not talking about gifts here. He's talking about something that should be evident for every single one of us here. This is not a gift issue. This is how we should be acting towards each other. All right? So he's going to talk about some severe love. Paul calls his readers to express love without hypocrisy. What do you think he means by that? What do you think he means when he says you need to express love without being hypocritical about it? What's that? Faking it. Have you ever ever seen somebody fake it? Oh, love you, sweetie. Oh, good to see you. As soon as they walk out the room, oh, I cannot stand them. You know what I'm saying? That's hypocrisy, isn't it? He's saying that you and I need to show love to one another without what? We need to be sincere in our love. Here's the other one. Paul calls his readers to hate what is evil and embrace what is good. This is the problem with the church today, folks. We've no longer, we've no longer come to a place where we understand even what evil is anymore. To even, to even say that that's wrong. And let me just stop for a moment. I'm not talking about what some 
talking head is saying on the TV about what wrong is. Because that's going on a lot in Christianity today. This is wrong, rah, 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 and everybody gets all fried up about that. No, there's a lot of other things that are wrong that we're not even talking about, that we're not even focusing on, and those are the things that are killing us. Do you understand what I'm saying? Those are the things that are killing us. And we need to hate what is wrong and to love what is good. Do you understand what I'm saying? And a lot of us know what that is if we just give some attention. And a lot of times it happens to be things that we're involved in. That we're not willing to acknowledge that what we're involved in is wrong. Do you you understand what I'm saying? So let's go on. Believers are to express love to each other as they honor others above themselves. Look, you need to know that God's calling you to express love towards each other as you honor others above yourself. Now that's talking about having a selfless attitude. Because a lot of times we're only interested in taking care of ourselves, but in church, God says you need to take care of other people. Well, who's going to take care of me? Well, if we're each taking care of other people, somebody's going to take care of you. Somebody's going to love you. We need to have a selfless attitude. That's what Paul's talking about here. All right? Believers are not to be lazy and should be fervent, spiritually fervent in their service. We're not to be lazy. We need to be fervent, spiritually fervent, spiritually empowered in our service. Let me just stop again. What am I talking about when I say service, folks? Am I talking about a position in a church? No. I'm talking about you being obedient to what God told you to do, didn't I? We're not talking... Okay, thank you. Okay. All right. We're not talking about a position. Quit thinking in terms of positions, okay? We're talking about relationships with each other and in our service towards each other. Believers should show hospitality as they provide for the needs of other believers. I don't have the gift of hospitality. I told you this isn't about gifts here. If you have a means to help somebody, you need to help them. That's what he's talking about. Well, I, I, he'll just be, or she'll just be a leech now, constantly coming to me. How do you know that? That's a big excuse. Chances are they don't. And here's what I found. Most people are usually embarrassed to ask. Yeah, I know there's some extreme cases, but the extreme cases don't represent everybody. You know what I'm talking about because you're embarrassed to ask if you're in need. You know what I'm saying? And if the Holy Spirit speaks to you and says to you, hey, so-and-so's got a need, you need to help them. Okay? You need to help them. Here's the other one. Believers are to bless those who persecute them and not curse them. That one's in the Bible. In many places. That those who persecute you, you're not to curse them, you're not to, you're to bless them. I can think of the best way you can bless them. You know how you can bless them? You pray for them. And I'm not talking a zapping prayer. God zap them. No, no, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about God. They need you. 
What, what, did, what did Stephen say when he was being stoned? Father, forgive them for they'd what? They don't know what they're doing. They don't understand. Did you understand Jesus? I mean, the, the reality, listen to me, the reality is believers are to bless those who persecute them, not to curse them. Believers are to empathize with others as they rejoice or mourn. You know what? You need to get out of your self-absorbed world, and if your friend is, is rejoicing, you rejoice with him. If your friend is weeping, you need to weep with them. Because I'm going to tell you something. Listen to me. The number one struggle every one of you is going to have. Listen to me. The number one struggle every one of you is going to have is this. You're going to feel alone. Your number one struggle, just go ahead and tell you right now, you're going to feel alone. The church is supposed to be a place where that doesn't exist. Where you can sense that people care about you. Well, nobody's come by yet. Hey, listen to me. It's not about you waiting for it to happen to you. You need to get up out of the seat and do it for others. And as you do it for others, it happens to you. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you're waiting for it, it will never happen. You've got to be proactive and love and be there for other people. Period. Okay? Here's the other one. Believers are to have the same mind towards each other. Have the same mind. Now, if you've got this holier-than-thou attitude, I'm going to be honest with you, folks, you're not going to have the same mind towards each other. If you're going to think of yourself as being better than other people, I'm going to explain something to you. You're never going to... And and let me just stop for a moment. People can tell. Have you ever noticed that? People can tell if somebody's just... You know, if they see themselves as above you. Do you understand what I'm saying? People can tell. Believers are not to be proud, but rather they should associate with the humble. Believers are not to be proud, but rather they should associate with the humble. There's no place for pride. All right, stop for a moment. Can anybody tell me why there should be no place for pride? Yeah, that's exactly right, Bruce. What do we do? Because here's the thing. Aren't we all what? Sinners saved by grace. So how proud would you be if your dirty laundry got aired out? And let's just talk for Everybody here has got dirty laundry, right? There's no place for pride. Because your salvation is only because of what? Jesus and grace. Do you understand what I'm saying? Jesus and grace. All right. Believers are not to think too highly of themselves. The sun does not set on you. Do you understand? It doesn't rise and set on you. Believers are not to repay evil for evil as they have testimony for, have a testimony for regarding good things. You're not to repay evil. You're to have a testimony of one who, who's a testimony of doing right. Do you understand what I'm saying? How many remember when you were growing up and stuff and you hear the old timers talk, well, there's so and so, man, he's a good man. Or she's a good lady. Because of the way they live their life. Oh, they would never get themselves. You know what? I have that, I have that perspective of several in our church. I can't tell you who they are. But one day I might be able to. 
But I'm going to tell you, I have that perspective because they 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 do not focus on the evil. They 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 regard what is good, and it comes out of their life. It comes out of their character. Believers are to live at peace with everyone as they're able to. You know, as we're able to, we're to live at peace with everyone. And then finally. Believers are not to seek vengeance, but rather allow God to bring retribution. Here's the thing. Don't go, don't go trying to make things even yourself. Recognize that God is the one who will take care of it. So, two more things. Respond with love. Then we're done. Proverbs expresses that responding with love, our enemies bring shame upon them. What's, what it's saying here is this. When I respond with love, what it results in is shame for my, for my enemy. Do you understand what I'm saying? If I respond to my enemy with love, it brings shame upon them. Believers are encouraged not to be overcome by evil, but rather overcome it with what? Good. All right. Next week, we're going to talk about transformed lives. The next time we look at this, we're going to talk about transformed lives. And it's going to talk about, are you ready for this? Are you ready for this? How you should be as a Christian citizen. And your response to government. And I'm going to tell you right now, some of you ain't going to like what the Bible says, but it's the Bible. <laughs>